Hello and welcome back to Constantine Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Tower of Swallows Chapter 10, which is the penultimate chapter of this book. Penultimate chapter, the penultimate book of the Witcher Saga, like counting the prequel. So th this chapter is the ending of the framing of the talking to Visigoda. Uh, the story catches up to present, establishes a few things that will be needed going forward, and is the culmination of series arc towards misery but basically she has become corrupted and miserable and this really started in time of contempt the breaking of siri and because she's been broken and she has to reform herself um you know the the, the image is not going to be perfect and it's going to be weak um you know for lack of a better metaphor and as a result, we see that at the end here, that she has accepted a part of her destiny that is not only horrible, but also incredibly sad to see her in this light compared to when we were introduced to her all that time ago. The main crux of this, um, you know, of this chapter, I would say, is the, the morality debate. We open with an extract about how... Uh, mor what is morality? How do you define morality? So in this extract, is you know, um, if everything is natural and we assume that some greater being has some sort of, uh, you know, contact, you know, contact over us, some sort of sway over us, therefore every inclination should be a natural extension of that person's or that being's will, the natural order of things. As such, there is no such thing as good and evil because it is what we were naturally inclined to do. And then you have, with Ciri and Visigoda's debate over ethics and morality, you have Visigoda, who's an old man who tried to change things and wasn't successful in it. And so has now become a, a secluded hermit uh, who's, you know, has pretty much no contact with anyone else. And then you have Siri, who's a traumatized young girl who doesn't see, you know, the bigger picture because she is so ruled by her her trauma, her emotions, uh, that all that matters is the fire. So you have, you, you know, you have the idea of natural course of events, so a steady fire. You have uh, Visigoda, who's an extinguished fire, and you have, uh, you know, a, a Siri, who is the red-hot fire. And these all have their own flaws within their inherent ideas of ethics and morality. With Visigoda, you have a man who clearly cares for Siri, has grown to care for her as a surrogate of his daughter. He even gives her some of his daughter's things, which includes ice skates, which will become important later. You know, he's he's a he's a politically minded philosopher. And much like all philosophers in history, they have grand ideas, but whether these grand ideas can be enacted upon is another thing. Plato, Socrates, uh, Carl Jung, you know, all these people created immense philosophies that some people, you know, prescribe to and some others don't about the human condition and the ways in which we view our lives and the way we uh, do things. And ultimately, some of them did enact change, but some of them didn't. And some of the change was not all for the better. That people can twist and change philosophy. Whereas Ceres, you know, view of philosophy, you know, is against that kind of thing. Against the academic view of philosophy. The academic view of philosophy, as envisioned by Visigoda, you know, is 
you know, an old secluded man who thinks of ways to make his life seem more important than it was. Then you have people like Siri who are all instinct, who act upon emotion without thinking. She has a great line here where she is basically trying to disregard Visigoda's entire moralistic view and go, you know, you have to kill evil. You have to stamp it out immediately. And then he goes, but what happens when you start to think about why you did that? And her response is, when you start thinking, killing stops making sense. At the end of the day, when you have... Uh, you know, a, a moralistic debate. Everybody has a different sense of morals that is dependent on the, on not only the, the place in which they were brought up in, certain conditions in which they were born, uh, so both nature versus nurture, both of them working in tandem, as well as religious, as well as, uh, you know, familiar or um, political, or, you know, what have you. And at the end of the day, who decides this? We can debate back and forth, you know, what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong, what is morally correct, what is morally wrong. But there is no force here to delineate that difference. That, that you know, the, the, the most horrible monsters in this world can see themselves doing nothing but good. And vice versa. The most purest angels in this world can think they're doing nothing but evil. And as well, you know, you know, it's just the, the opposites, the yin yang. And because of that, Visigoda points out the flaw in all of this. If you kill someone, if you decide that a murderer said that someone has done something so evil as to not be worthy of living in this world, let's let's take murder for example you kill the murderer, then you therefore have taken their spot. Nature abhors a vacuum. And as such, there is still one murderer in this world. Their name changed from the murderer you killed to your name. That's the only difference. You have fulfilled their spot. Nature must have balance. And because of that, nature can't survive in a vacuum. It's the old adage of, you know, I mean, that's what the yin yang represents that good exists within evil and evil exists within good. That this can be, you know, a round and round and round debate that we've been having for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, and no one has reached a point in which, yes, this is morally right, yes, this is morally wrong. We can debate that, and there are things that certain people have lines crossed on, certainly, and there's ones that I heavily you know, view as good and evil, etc. But I think it's it, it it's formed by your own stance. So where does this lie? How does this work? And I think that is really the the the, the center of this chapter is Siri has taken a step in out of her arc from the very beginning. So she's introduced as this young girl with a cold, right, in, in, in Sword of Destiny, and then she becomes, you know, uh, Geralt's adopted daughter, and, and same with Yen, and she gets these different moral views from Yen and from Geralt, and I think one of the most impactful moments 
there are two that come to mind, which is when she talks about that she's going to pick up a sword and go after the Black Knight for everything he's taken from her. And Geralt snaps at her and goes, no, you do not use swords to kill. You use it to defend. There's a difference. And then in the um, the caravan chapter in Blood of Elves, same book, she encounters the Scoyotel with Yarpin's caravan. And there's this entire debate uh, between Yarpin and Geralt about neutrality. And she says, you know, that neutrality seems to do nothing but pain. Bring nothing but pain. That that uh, it brings death to everyone. So at the end of the day, choosing a side hurts people. Not choosing a side hurts people. So she has chosen to take a side that ensures that she... That, that the best outcome comes across, in her mind anyway. And that means she has adopted the moniker of a witcher. She has adopted the moniker as she introduces herself at the very end of the chapter to um, Fripp and Co. as I am Siri of Kermorin. I'm. It's not. I'm Cirilla, uh, uh, you know, of Sintra. I'm not the Lion Cub or anything. I am Siri of Kermorin. She is a witcher, and witchers kill monsters. And what defines a monster? Geralt would have very, very particular debates about this. That's what a lot of the short stories, especially Lesser Evil, was all about. What defines a monster? How does one correlate that? And part. Um, Geralt's issue, um, as a person, is his in inner debate over what is right, what is wrong. The moralistic side of his job. You know, he, he kills monsters, but what defines a monster? Who is a monster? Uh, and here, Ciri has taken the side of monsters, anything that I perceive as evil. An evil will never be gone from this world. A witcher's job is never done. And what's interesting is you see that Geralt struggled with these same questions in the short stories. Ciri has become to mirror him in a lot of ways, but also mirror Yin and the way she approaches things from from not necessarily a selfish point of view, but a dominant point of view, looking at things from the the larger perspective, but also ruled by her emotions, much like Geralt. She is the combination of her you know, uh, of her mother and of her father. And that, I think, is, you know, really interesting that that, that Sokowski is really tackling the, 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 the core of his own series. He's been attacking it since the very beginning of, you know, what what does it mean to be a monster hunter? What it does it mean to you know to kill monsters, to defend humanity? What does it this mean in context of this world? And much like any soldier who wants to defend their country, who believes in what they're doing is right, must confront the fact that what they are doing, if viewed by any other means necessary, would be viewed as evil. That a soldier is trained, is basically formed to kill people, kill people that are the enemy. What that enemy means is whatever their superior officer tells them. The superior officer works for the government. So the enemy is whatever the government determines. In any other context, that is called homicide. That is murder. That is 
evil. We have no qualms about locking people up, how in certain places giving the death penalty for doing stuff like that. But because they're working sanctioned by the by the government to do this, they're okay. It is one of the central questions of B5 as well, especially the episode Passing Through Gethsemane, if you remember me talking about that, that was more focused on capital punishment. But it did bring up the idea, the fact that soldiers kill, and killing is inherently evil. So what does that make a soldier? Good or evil? And so witchers are this like tainted view of knights in classic fantasy. And so of course this question would come up. And it's come up before, but it's really being attacked here because now we have Geralt who has forsaken being a witcher. He views that lifestyle as wrong, as evil, that he has had to come to terms with the fact that he is a dad, not anyone else. He is not a witcher. He is not killer of monsters. He is a dad. Siri princess chosen one child of the other blood she's none of those things she's a witcher she kills they have gone in opposite paths but also parallel each other it's fantastic to see it's great storytelling that is the center of this chapter is really getting siri to the point where she is now you know having experienced her time with Geralt who you know is uh, you know taught her things that you know the necessary evil the lesser evils and you have Yen who taught her the ways of magic and the selfishness of the ways of the sorceresses and then you have her time with the rats who were pure hedonism uh and nothing else just pure unadulterated evil for the sake of own self-worth and so now you have her outside of that now having to reformat her personality outside of all of these factors and what she's come up with is a combination of various things that parallel and contrast with her mother and her father fantastic storytelling the other half of this chapter is the uh team up of stefan skeleton bonhart and vilgo forts uh that Basically, we have the big old villain team up. You know, we're 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 heading towards the climax. The next book is the is the last book of the main main saga. So we need to really start wrapping up some some storylines and and uh, merging others. And so we have a villain team up. They each have, uh, you know, their own motivations going into this. Stefan Skelen is working towards political change. Uh, he wants uh, the empire of Nilfgaard to turn into a democracy, which of course they all laugh at, because that's an absurd notion. Uh, it's that 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 joke works on several levels. One is the meta level that you most likely, the reader of this book, are reading in a democratic uh, society or a society primarily dominated by democracy. Uh, as in the 21st century. The the other level it works on is the fact that Stefan Skelen is a fool. He doesn't think things through, and he's far more ambitious than his intelligence allows him to be. He is a pawn. He's been a pawn for everyone since we were first introduced to him. A pawn for Amir, a pawn for Vadier, a pawn for DeWitt and Abdahi, uh, as disclosed by Thilgafords, the, the enemies of Amir. He is basically being used as a linchpin and the fall guy for various different people. And as we know, because Kenna is presiding over his trial, that she is one of the, uh, the people giving testimony in the future, that we know that he does eventually take the fall 
for everything going down. Uh, then you have Bonhart, who's an unadulterated sadist. He just enjoys watching pain. He enjoys um, misery. And he gets off on it, you know, in in, in more of a, a pleasurable sense, but also a sexual sense as well. Hence sadism. And so he's just out for the enjoyment of it. And he wants money, <laughs> as he points out when he shows back up to Stephens Glenn after all this time. Uh, you know, I figured out who she is. I want to renegotiate her contract. Uh, and then Vilgefortz is, you know, after the Elder Blood. In particular, as he says, I could care less about Siri. I just need her placenta in her womb. The rest of her are scraps. Do whatever you want with her. And Ryan's, of course, being the lapdog of Vilgefortz. Um, and, and so with all of that in place, you have a very dysfunctional villain team up. Uh, and what makes fun, you know, what what makes fun villain team ups is when either the villains are in such in such harmony that they build a utopia of evilness and it's fun to watch. Uh, as a comic book reader, I see this a lot, but also in the, there's also the fun in the economy that they're all inherently selfish beings, and as such, their vileness. Uh, corrupts them and makes them unable to work together cohesively. Both both takes on the villain team up are fun, and so what we're seeing here is is primarily the, the the selfishness. But they're currently working together right now. Whether that will continue is another question entirely. Of course, series escaping. I do like how you know her connection to magic. She forsaked it in time of contempt. And she has no longer the ability to channel magic in any way possible. But Kenna, uh, sort of telepathically touching her, gave her a small sliver of magic that she could use to escape. Um, uh, I, I've been trying to think of a good analogy. It, it's, it's sort of like finding the last drop of water in a flask or, or um, you know, unplugging a battery and then putting it back in to get that last few small hertz of charge left out of it. It's nothing. It, 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 it's like trying to drink something out of a sleeve. It's not going to work. It's going to all fall out. But it's there in some capacity. It's with the slightest connection. And I thought that was a nice deal because that will come back in the future. No spoilers, because I I don't feel like I need to talk about it in the spoilers, because uh, it's a, it's a, it, it's an ex book and it will be important when we talk about it. But she has, as mentioned, time permanently disconnected herself, and so that last bit of juice that she got from Kenna, she used for her own need to escape, and that inherently shows the way in which morality is being affected in the way in which it will affect things to come in the next book. Uh, the final bit of this chapter is, uh, you know, is effectively this horror story with Siri as the monster. This will come in the focus next chapter, uh, and those who know know what I'm talking about very clearly. But the build-up here is that it's Halloween, you know, it's Savoyne Eve, it's, the, it's the, the night of ghosts and apparitions and demons and evil and vileness, and we spend quite a while with uh, with the remaining bits of Stephen Cullen's group that weren't killed or, or ran away or whatever, you know, um, just being complete assholes in this tavern. And then... You know, the storm comes, you know, and uh, 
Van Siri arrives on a black horse, very symbolic of like a the horseman of the apocalypse, stuff like that. And she comes up and she wipes the floor with them, kills them all, and watches them all die in misery. And as witnessed, you know, you, you, you're not you're not human, you're death. Everything dies, to, you know, for you uh, or because of you. And she goes, yes, I am death. And that plays in the, a few things. First of all, uh, if you remember way back in something more, um, I have this entire thing about when Galt met the physical embodiment of death. I talked about the, the idea that Siri is death, that she uh, is um, the thing that dogs his footsteps. Death dogs your footsteps. And so, therefore, Siri is death. And I was already making that connection back then. Of course, I already read these books, but like I was trying to point that out so that people would, uh, would connect it that she is a formation of death. Even her destiny is to give birth to someone who will may save parts of this world uh, in in another reality, that inherently the world will die because of the seed that is sown, that is her. And so, because of that, she inherently is death, regardless of her moral morality or her training or any other symbolism. Just her inherent reason for being is inherently a deadly one, one that will bring death, and a cold death, in fact. And it's just such the perfect way to encapsulate the way she has grown since we met her. Um, when she gets the scar, uh, which we finally find out how she got that scar, which is from Stefan Skled hitting him with one of his Orion's his shurikens, uh, and it just cleanly going across her face, and she vanished. And there was a bunch of legends about maybe the spectral riders that hear the wild hunt coming about, or the, the straw unicorn in the in the village of unicorn. Ha ha ha, get the joke. Uh, coming to life, uh, and all that stuff. That she, we, we find out the discrepancy um, in, in the timing is because she time-traveled. Uh, and we'll find out how her powers work specifically in bits of next chapter and in the next book, but she she traveled through time and space, and so that's what the discrepancy was. And so the the, the omen and the storm that was caused because of her disappearance forbode you know or, you know basically told everyone death comes, but it's not they weren't referring to her death; they were referring to her getting closer to becoming death in a way. Um, it's, it's, it's a fun way of recontextualizing the beginning of this novel, uh, which opened with, uh, with the omens of her death. Um, and so, Siri, as I said, this is Siri's book. Last book was Geralt's book. This is really Siri's book. And Siri has become the, the, the woman we know by the end that she has completed her arc from princess to witcher to death. And that will be capitalized on, especially in the next chapter, where the, the horror angle of her showing up at that tavern is really taken advantage of, and as well as uh, the next book, which finalizes her arc. Uh, but brilliant chapter, 
uh, brilliant work for Siri. Uh, you know, I, I made this comment once in the retrospective I did Claudia that Siri has become Punisher. That she is the monster who kills monsters. She is death. Um, I mean, the Punisher skull is a skull for no reason. Uh, if you don't read Punisher, you know, that that's the he's become death. As far as he's concerned, Frank Cancel doesn't exist anymore. He is Punisher, and he is death. And Siri has become that in a way. She is not Cirilla, Princess of Sintra. She is Siri of Carewarren, a witcher who kills monsters. What a journey. Oh, we still got more to go. I'll see you then. Bye.